This episode is a part of a special series devoted to a new edited book titled Social and Emotional Learning in Physical Education, Applications in School and Community Settings. Published by Jones and Bartlett Learning in cooperation with Shape America, the book is edited by Dr. Paul Wright of Northern Illinois University and Dr. Kevin Richards of the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Uh, it's available for fall 2021 instruction. The text will integrate well into physical education teacher education coursework, and it's a great resource for teachers looking to increase the focus on social and emotional learning in their classes. This special series is sponsored by the Physical Activity and Life Skills Group in the Department of Kinesiology and Physical Education at Northern Illinois University. Hey, Risto here at George Mason University. I'm joined today by Dr. Kevin Richards from the University of Illinois, uh, Urbana-Champaign, as well as Dr. Paul Wright from Northern Illinois University. Um, we're going to be discussing their co-authored chapter in uh, the SEL book that we're covering uh, called Introduction to Social and Emotional Learning in Physical Education. So, uh, Paul, Kevin, thanks for coming on. Hey, Risto. Thanks a lot. We're really happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, Risto. Super excited to be here and excited for this partnership that we have with the podcast to, to roll out the new book. Um, we're hoping that it's going to be a great tool for everybody. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm super pumped to have you both on. Um, I know we've already had a foreword to the book um, on the previous podcast. So I want to talk with both of you about the book just in general. Um, Paul, why did you feel like there was a need for this book in physical education? Well, there's been a growing interest in social and emotional learning in the broader field of education, and that's been brewing for quite a long time. And I've just noticed more and more in recent years at a really increasing rate, uh, that concept is being brought over into physical education. So, so there's a lot of buzz, there are a lot of conference topics and themes devoted to this, um, but there really isn't a comprehensive uh, resource to really say, okay, we know a lot about social emotional learning in the broader field of education. There's a lot of interest in applying it in physical education, but that that crossover doesn't happen automatically because our context is so unique. Um, so it just seemed like the timing was really right and there was a real need for a comprehensive resource uh, that people could start working from. Yeah, yeah, and, and Risto, I would I would echo pretty much everything that Paul said, and, and the, I guess the only thing that I would add, um, and we didn't plan it this way. Uh, you know, we started working on this book uh, pre-COVID nineteen pandemic, but I think that the current pandemic that we're still in the midst of um, and still very much battling in the United States highlights the fact that social and emotional learning is more important than ever. You, you hear a lot of things about both teachers and, and students' uh, social and emotional health being disconnected, socially isolated from, from loved ones and family members. Uh, and, and, you know, and then all that kind of got layered on um, with, with some of the racial unrest uh, and the Black Lives Matter movement that uh, spurred from the killing of George Floyd this past summer. So you know, we're, just, we're in a moment, I think, in US history where, where social and emotional learning is critical. Uh, and even though, you know, it wasn't our intent, you know, our, our rolling out of the book wasn't responsive to those issues, but I think that, you know, it's kind of serendipitous in, in that sense that we have the book ready to come out at a time where it really is critical. Yeah, absolutely. And but so you both uh, co-authored the first two chapters and um, let's start with the first one. And if we can do like a 30,000 foot view of this uh, and Kevin, I'll go to you. Why, why do you feel that SEL is such a popular topic in physical education specifically right now? You talked just briefly about 
how this fits into like the greater context of education, but why, why is it so uh, popular in physical education? Yeah, yeah, you know, I think uh, um, I, I, I heard uh, I heard a quote the other day, or I read a quote the other day that's coming to me, uh, kind of the, my first reaction to that question. Somebody said that, that SEL is not just one other thing to put on the table, um, because I think sometimes the, the pushback that you get on integrating SEL anywhere in education, including physical education, is that it's just one more thing. It's one more thing, it's one more thing, it's one more thing. But this quote said, um, it's not just one more thing on the table. SEL is the table itself. That's the table that we put everything else on top of. Uh, and if you don't have, um, if students' social and emotional well-being is not taken care of, then they're not in a position where they're able to learn effectively. Um, and, and so they're not going to get as much out of what we try to do in physical education or any, any discipline uh, for that matter. Um, and, you know, I also really feel and believe as if uh, children are people, first and foremost, they're human beings. Um, and as human beings, their personal and emotional needs need to get taken care of. And if you look at the history of physical education, that isn't something that we've always, you know, really been great at. There's been a lot, a lot of exclusionary practices, a lot of demeaning and dehumanizing practices. Uh, like dodgeball and other human target games that, that play out in physical education. So, you know, I think that this is just kind of a response from the community at large uh, to, to really build upon work that's been going back for, you know, 40 years, going all the way back to some of Hellison's work and then integrating that with uh, recent trends and pushes by groups such as CASEL to bring social and emotional learning more into the forefront um, and, and just, you know, capitalize on those things. Paul, anything to add there? Yeah. About I, why you feel it's popular? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with everything Kevin just said. I guess the, the couple points I would add is, one, I think that as much as dealing with personal and social skills and, and affective outcomes has always been clearly part of the mission of physical education, those things have been so ill-defined that, that our practices and our research and our ability to articulate what we're doing in that area um, has often lagged behind. Um, and so I think that, that this can add some coherence uh, and, and legitimacy in a way uh, to the work we're doing in that area. So I think a lot of people are really ready for that. The, the, it's always been baked in. The need is only higher as time goes on. Uh, and I think we're finally ready to have a more coherent way of articulating exactly what we're trying to do in that area. Um, and with the added benefit of connecting to a movement that's broader than PE because social and emotional learning has been adopted into K-12 standards in many states and it's it's becoming a very um, a very well-recognized framework and emphasized in broader educational policies so I think that's an added benefit that, that we're ready for something that's more well-defined and if we can attach to something that's uh, a big push in the broader field of education it again adds that legitimacy that the tend of the, the field of PE tends to be fighting for. Yeah, yeah I remember um, you know some some work that that we did um, back when I was uh, a grad student at Purdue. We, we had a pep grant with one of the local schools, uh, and one of the the pedagogical models that we worked on them with was TPSR. And, and whereas the other models that we worked with uh, the teachers on didn't really click for them, TPSR did because they saw the relevance of it related to these larger school missions that were also going on related to social and emotional learning. So they, you know, whether it's the Lighthouse Leadership Program or these other, um, you know, whole school approaches to SEL, 
Uh, most schools have something like that, and you know, SCL and physical education allows you to kind of hook into that and, and be more relevant in a broader sense. Yeah, and Paul, let me let me ask you a follow up on one of the things that you just said. Can you talk about more about how the SEL and affective domain intertwine? Yeah, um, this is actually really interesting. What writing, writing and editing a book is one of the best forms of professional development. Um, that I've ever encountered, right? I mean, this, this process was thoroughly enjoyable and challenging and exciting and, and a real learning experience. It pushed me to think more deeply, and we got some good feedback on how we were using the term the affective domain. I mean, strictly, if you go back and look at the original work from Bloom and his colleagues on the affective domain, it really has to do with attitudes and feelings, um, the emotional response to the learning. Um, we often in the field of physical education conflate that with behavioral outcomes and with personal and social skills. But strictly speaking, the affective response is, is just that, it's the thoughts and feelings and attitudes, but they are conveyed in our personal and our social behaviors. So that's something that I've, I've sort of refined my own understanding as it's evolving. So what I would say is when we talk about social and emotional learning, most people are referring to competencies, personal and social behaviors. And those are not affective outcomes in and of themselves, but they're often the way that we convey and reflect our affective response, the level of affective engagement that we have with the learning experience. So they're really intertwined, they're highly related but coming out of this experience, I do make that distinction that I think a benefit to us is that social emotional learning does allow us to talk about personal and social skills and observable behaviors that are a bit easier to teach to and to assess and to give instruction on. And it gets us out of the business of saying, well, how am I going to grade some kid on enjoyment or how am I going to assess or judge their level of motivation? Um, I think that's one of the reasons that this work has been ill-defined for a long time in PE, and this making this distinction more clear and leaning toward SEL to define our learning objectives can be a really good fit, in my opinion. And Kevin, in, in the chapter, you talk a lot about uh, various approaches to the affective, do uh, affective domain, and you spoke to this just uh, briefly already about the CASEL framework. So C-A-S-E-L, for those of you who want to kind of type it into Google or something, go go down that rabbit hole. But what is the CASEL framework and why did you choose that? Because you listed a couple different other ones that have done work in this area, but you pinpointed the CASEL framework. Why was that? Um, yeah, so the, the CASEL is one of the more uh, prominent or common frameworks uh, that gets thrown out there. It's definitely one that's gotten a lot of national level attention. Um, and, and it's one that's been referenced uh, even within the physical education uh, world um, as being a model for guiding the implementation of SEL. Um, you know, well before we had this book project underway, for example, Shape America put together a crosswalk that mapped their um, national standards for, for physical education to the CASEL framework, and they chose that framework because it was one that was more prominent. Um, you know, with that said, though, uh, you know, we, we, we well because of that, we wanted to kind of showcase and frame CASEL because it's it's a framework that we feel as if many readers, if they've kind of dipped their toe into SEL, have probably come across before. They may be familiar with uh, on some level. 
Um, and so it's kind of like a common or a uniting language. But we also wanted to throw out there that it's not the only approach. And it's not necessarily one that we're you know, completely unequivocally endorsing um, but by referencing it and talking about it within the book. And if, you know, if, uh, as, as readers will kind of progress through the chapters uh, and other chapters, there are other approaches to understanding uh, SEL that, that come to the forefront alongside and or in place of Castle. And so strategically for us, um, and, and, you know, because this is a Shape America publication and we're trying to uh, show alignment um, between uh, our messaging and, and the Shape America messaging, plus the fact that the castle is a well-known and a really solid framework, it just made sense for us to kind of focus on that one as a feature. So where do you, where do you see these, Paul, in general education? Where do you see castle or other similar frameworks that uh, you reference in the books uh, playing in the future of American education? Are, are these things that are here to stay or do you feel like this is a wave and we're going to go through or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it, I, I like that quote that Kevin shared before about SEL being the table, whether you recognize it or not. Right. I mean, if you, if you wind the clock back uh, 15, 20 years the the law of the land in terms of educational policy in the U S was no child left behind. Um, we were doubling down on standardized testing. The pendulum had swung more or less to that extreme. Um, whether we acknowledged it or not, how well kids felt that they belonged, how much they were motivated and engaged, how well they were able to persist and work hard on tasks, that had more to do with academic achievement than, you know, hitting them over the head with standardized tests, in my opinion. So it's always been there and it always will be there because I think that's the nature of people and how people learn and how they learn best. Um, at the educational policy level, I think it is, like I said, there's this sort of pendulum that tends to swing back and forth and, and no child left behind in that era, it had swung to the extreme of wanting um, evidence-based practice and uh, you know measurable outcomes and everything was boiling down to what was defined at the time as the core academic subject. So we're now the pendulum swinging back the other way and under the Every Student Succeeds Act, the current uh, educational policy you know, reference point, um, we've gotten out of the business of talking about core academic subjects. You know, as soon as you identify some as core, then others are marginalized, right? And PE is usually on the losing side of that battle. Um, now we have a, a greater focus on holistic education. We don't have a core uh, uh, subject matter uh, we recognize the value of teaching all these different subjects, you know, art, music, as well as physical education, and addressing the personal and social needs um, and the emotional well-being of youth. So I think we are at a good time in terms of educational policy. I hope the pendulum doesn't swing back, but that's what pendulums tend to do. Um, so I'll just project the next few years out. I think it's a really good time to capitalize on this momentum. Um, and the fact that the policy winds are blowing in a good direction, not only for SEL, but for SEL integration and PE. Yeah. And I mean, if even if you look at just the people who are in education policy and who are, you know, if you look at the White House, there is a you know, professor in Northern Virginia Community Colleges and in the White House. And, you know, we mm -hmm. have we have a, a public school educator in as a uh, uh, Secretary of Education, which is very different than the last four years. So um, I wonder what will happen. Like, 
policy-wise in general, but it doesn't seem like the swing of the pendulum is going to happen right now to the other side because it seems like those those people who are in in those positions are definitely for for SEL. They're for these like uh, more holistic approaches instead of you know getting those very specific scores that then translate to how much money you're going to get for your school, which I think No Child Left Behind, as you talk about in the book, really kind of messed a lot of things up. So, Right. Yeah, right. And, and to kind of add to Paul's point about uh, the pendulum swinging, I, I think that another way to think about that same kind of narrative is looking at it in terms of interest convergence. You know, who are the players that are in place what are they interested in and, and who wants what? And where you have these moments where you have policymakers and educators and teacher educators that are all kind of hovering around the same ideas and their interests are converging in a particular area, those are moments where I, I think you can really see the enactment of change because you have that momentum from multiple different forces that are driving. And that, that could be, for example, what swings that pendulum. Um, and I think in this case, we just are living in times for, for a variety of reasons, some of which I, I you know, touched on a few minutes ago, th that are blowing um, things or swinging the pendulum towards interests in that direction. Yeah. So, Kevin, let me go to you. In the, in the chapter, you wrote that SEL itself is applicable to any subject matter, but obviously this book is about physical education. Um, why do you feel like physical education specifically lends to the utilization of SEL? Um, and why do you think that PE and SEL should go hand in hand together? <clears throat> yeah, so um, a, a couple things to unpack there. Uh, I probably won't cover everything that I want to say, but but good thing that you know Paul and I work together on this, so he'll be able to pick up areas that that, that I forget. <laughs> but 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 you know. Um, yeah, I think that for a long time, Risto, there's been this kind of natural assumption uh, that there's this relationship between SEL and in physical activity or, you know, more specifically in some context, sport. Um, and, and, you know, that goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years um, where, where you see people kind of claiming things that sound like social and emotional learning in the name of sport. Um, uh, and, and I think that, that there's a lot of good reason for that. Sport does have the opportunity to teach things like teamwork and, um, you know, helping each other, uh, taking personal responsibility, like all of those things kind of naturally come up through sport. Plus, sport's a very physical um, and visual environment. So we can see these things play out in real time and they become very visible. So, you know, I was watching a, a game in the NCAA tournament um, and at the end of the first half, like the, the player was like running off the court and the coach was like reaching after him and grabbed his jersey and the player like turns around and swats away at the coach's hand and keeps running. You know, there's some social and emotional things that we can unpack in that situation and we can all see it very clearly because it's visible. Um, so, you know, I think that that's part of it, but at the same time, um, you know, I, I would argue and I think that the, the research would as well that, um, that, that, that these positive social and emotional experiences don't just naturally happen through sport. They have to be done intentional. If we don't take an intentional approach where we try to build things like teamwork, like positivity, like setting goals and um, taking responsibility for your own behavior and, and that of your teammates, if those aren't intentional things that we're, we're working towards, then sport can actually be an environment where we, um, where we, where, where, where kids can learn some more negative things, you know, like cheating, like cutting corners, 
um, is those are all some very negative behaviors that can come out in sports. So we can't just let it be and, and assume that positive things are going to come. It needs to be something that we address intentionally. Paul, anything to add there? I mean, yeah, I, I agree with that completely. Um, I guess one, to, to pull it back a bit to the beginning, you know, your, your question had to do with why these go hand in hand. And I think one point I, I often uh, try to make is that given that SEL is being promoted across the curriculum right now, right, and grades K through 12, um, I encourage PE teachers to advocate for themselves as one of the most ideal spaces in the school curriculum to really bring out SEL and teach it intentionally. Um, by the nature of our environment, uh, and this is, you know, came straight from Don Hellison. I don't know how many times I heard him say, you know, sport is inherently, it's dynamic, it's active, it's interactive, it's emotionally charged. You know, if you want to teach kids about role playing, you don't have to, or I mean, if you want to teach kids about conflict resolution, you don't have to do role playing. Just give them a ball and wait a few minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, things are going to come up and in a genuine way kids really do get embarrassed upset competitive disappointed so if you can capitalize on that environment where emotions are genuine and real and dynamic and they're interacting you know uh continuously um you have the richest space in the school environment uh to highlight social emotional learning so what I tell PE teachers is, you know, your principal is under pressure. Your, super, your district superintendent is under pressure to say how they're addressing social-emotional learning. You should make sure that you're the first stop on that tour. If they're going to walk around and say, here's what it looks like, here's how we address it, here's how we teach it, here's how we assess it, here's how kids are doing, the gym should be the first place that that tour stops. Yeah. And that authentic conflict is, it reminds me of what you brought up in the book is Kathy Ennis's sport for peace uh, curriculum model as well mm -hmm. of like that you create an authentic conflict through sport. And then, you know, you're working through that as an educational experience. Um, so before we sign off, um, can you give just a big picture overview of how the, um, how the, book is set up and um, can kind of set up for the future uh, podcasts that will be coming up after this? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll just give a, a general sense of the flow of it um, and then let Kevin fill in the blanks where, where my memory fails me. Um, so, you know, first we want to lay a foundation. So we set the stage with introducing what SEL is, um, how that corresponds to the physical education curriculum, and we unpack um, instructional practices and assessment practices that align with this idea of SEL. Um, and then we move into a section where we highlight several of the models-based practices because that's one of the biggest thrusts in terms of uh, best practice right now in terms of physical education. Um, and many of those models uh, align very strongly with SEL. So we, we give uh, space to experts in those areas to highlight those. And then we get into some more specialized contexts. Um, like adapted physical ed education, uh, community-based programs, programs targeting uh, learners from marginalized communities. Um, so we try to give a good breadth in terms of uh, connecting to current best practice in PE and what we see as, as possi possibilities and rooms for growth, um, you know, by providing case examples of, of what we see as innovative practice that really should be expanded upon. 
Kevin, we want to help out with whatever I, I didn't hit there. Uh, Paul, I think you I think you overviewed it really, really well. Actually, um, there's not a ton of things that uh, that, that I would say differently. I, I think in approaching this, you know, from a big picture kind of 10,000 foot view, um, in, in that first section, we wanted just to kind of set the stage. Say this is SEL. Here's what it looks like through instruction, um, you know, uh, uh, curriculum development and assessment. Um, and, and then we provide all of those example chapters, uh, drawing upon models based practices, look at the different um, kind of uh, PE adjacent environments like adapted physical education and out of school time programs where SEL gets used. Um, uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I think that it, it provides readers uh, both in physical education and maybe in adjacent uh, fields such as youth uh, development or, or folks working in like boys and girls clubs or YMCAs a variety of different material to pull from that, that can uh, help them, you know, promote uh, physical activity and SEL concurrently. Awesome. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the, the sequence of podcasts. I know both of you are coming back uh, for the next one, uh, talking about chapter two, when we talk about sport-based youth development a little bit and the historical aspects. And um, we'll be coming out with these podcasts uh, on a regular basis, covering different chapters, not all chapters, but um, hopefully it'll give you kind of an overview of what the book is about. And then um, you can go in and get the book and dive in a little deeper. So. Paul, Kevin, thank you very much. Appreciate your time. We appreciate it. Thank you, Risto.